0: Good morning. It's another wonderful day to be with you today, to see some faces that I haven't seen in a while gives me a lot of joy, a lot of thankfulness for the work that the Lord has been doing in lives, been doing in our lives and just general joy and celebration. We have been challenged, we have been challenged in our worship through Music this morning to be clothed in the goodness and the righteousness of God. Um, If we think about what those final days of this earth, because this earth will pass away, if we think about what those final days of this earth will be like, there will come a time of judgment and the Lord will judge us. Now, if he if he judged us based on our parents or uh, friends or maybe a sibling, uh, we may be okay. He may say, well, at least you're better than they are. I know that some of you feel that way about your siblings. But the Lord doesn't judge us based on another human. He doesn't judge us based on how other people treat us. He judges us based on the righteousness of Christ. And... If we are found in Christ, then we are wholly and completely dressed in that righteousness. It is the only way that we will be received into eternity with our Lord. Um, Not, Lord, I did better than this person. Not, Lord, I didn't do as bad as I could have done. Remember that time that I didn't do this? But Lord, I have put my trust, my faith, my life, my hope in you and you alone. We've been challenged today to make sure that our answer, all of our questions are summed up with the answer, Christ, Christ. He has answered every question. Would you pray with me this morning as we begin that God would open our eyes? Soften our hearts to his word. Holy God. You are magnificent in all of your ways. You have perfectly and intricately appointed every time. Every place. Every action. You knew us. Before we were in our mother's womb. And then you knit us. Together. You know the hairs on our head. You have so perfectly and completely loved us throughout the duration and will love us throughout all eternity. You have called us by name, we are yours. It is upon that knowledge today that we sit in this congregation of believers and we praise your holy and matchless name. Mighty God, holy, there is none like you. Sanctify us today in your truth, Lord. Your word is truth. Allow the Spirit of God to change our hearts from a heart of stone to a heart of flesh. That we may love your word. That we may long for your word. That it may change our lives. That it may transform us into the image of your Son. That it may change the way we interact with others, the way we raise our children, the way we treat our spouse. Lord, make us into tender, compassionate, empathetic, loving workers of your will. Condition us to want, to desire, to love, nothing more and nothing less than Christ and Him crucified. Sharpen our minds. Make our spirits in tune to the needs of the world. That we may bring You praise and glory by being Gospel proclaimers. By being disciple makers, take our life, Lord, use it to further your will, to further your kingdom. Lord, help us to be partakers in the blessing of God. By celebrating in our own salvation, but also by celebrating in the victory in other people's lives. Lord, strengthen your church. Help us to love one another as you have loved us. Help the true mark of the church be love, That the world may know that Christ lived, he died, and he rose again, and he's living within us. Humble us, break us, make us more like you. Lord, we can never repay you. And the only gift that you ask us to give you is complete trust and affection. So we give that to you today, Lord. Help us every day to trust you and to have a deeper affection for you that causes us to have a deeper affection for others. In that, Lord, we have summed up the law and the prophets. You are so good. Help us to wake up with that thought. Help that thought to motivate us throughout the day and help it to let us rest easy at night. We pray and ask these things in the matchless mighty and glorious name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Over the last few weeks we have been in Romans 12 and we have discussed the ministry of the church to the church. We have seen how this includes a humble and sober attitude about ourselves Paul says in the first part of Romans 12 I want you to have a sober judgment a sober opinion about yourself this means not thinking too highly of myself or not thinking too lowly of myself but thinking of myself as Christ saw me before I was in Christ and as Christ sees me now as I am in Christ. It is, friends, with a humble attitude that we learn to serve the Lord in the way that He has chosen for us to serve Him. We also came to this understanding over the last few weeks that the church is a body. It is a living, breathing organism. Friends, the best thing that we can know about our church is that we are alive together. That we hurt together. That we ache together. That we celebrate together. We have um, victories and we have failures, and they all are a part of what make us this organism, this body of Christ. But also, we learn that because we are all a part of this body. That all of those things that we celebrate and all of those things that we rejoice and all of those failures that we have and all of those things that we mourn because we are a part of that one body. We also do so as one body. If one part of, if one part of us hurts, all of us hurt. If one part of us rejoices, all of us rejoice. This is why church life should be full of celebration of the things that the Lord has done in each other. This is why church life should be full of multiple people mourning when mourning is necessary. This is why when the sick are sick, we are all sick. We are all with each other. A humble attitude that causes us to see that The body of Christ is an organism, but it's one organism. And then as we grow in those things, we seek to what we discovered last week a little bit as we seek to find how God has gifted us so that we can gift this organism. That is through our spiritual gifts. Last week we saw some of the spiritual gifts. What we found is that as a church body, as this part of this organism, we need to know what our spiritual gifts are, what they are in our own lives. We found out that everyone who is in Christ has at least one gift. And I would say that more than likely, we all have and display more than one gift. And God wants to use those gifts in mighty ways, not just to build us up, that's part of it, but for the edification of the church. As a matter of fact, Paul says, if your gifts aren't being used for the edification of the church, they are not being as useful as Christ has prescribed them. In some instances, even useless. God gives us gifts to to build ourselves up, but because we are not alone in this, because we are a part of something bigger, He gives us gifts to edify the body of Christ. This, friends beyond guilt and beyond a desire that the holy spirit puts in our lives to be a part of the body of christ to be a part of a church this friends is one of the sole reasons why we must be a part of a body of believers because god has given us gifts and then the command to edify other believers in the local body not just other believers that We see outside that's a part of it, but he has given the local body for the specific display of the gifts that he has given us. And if we if we see and we operate in those gifts with a humble and a contrite spirit, with the understanding that they are for others and not just for ourselves, we have no option but to use those gifts appropriately in the vast majority of the time. I know that sometimes in our sinful nature, we may get puffed up, we may get conceited, but if we stay humble, if we see that these gifts are not just for us, these gifts are for the edification of the body, this organism, then we will use them in the way God has appropriated. Friends, we must see ourselves as an active gift giver in the church, or the church will suffer. The body will suffer if we don't see ourselves taking a participatory role in the edification of the body. If we see it as someone else's responsibility, if we're always stepping away and letting someone else come in in and take a role. The church will suffer if it's not the person who just sees an open door and wants to fill it. That person is going to suffer because that person is going to be overworked and tired. Or if it might be the person that that doesn't have the role fulfilled because you have stepped back and waited for someone else to take on that role. The body of Christ needs us. It needs us to participate, to be active, to minister. And friends, you must hear this. We are all ministers to the body. Of Christ this is the ministry of the church to the church this week and next week we will examine this Christianity in motion what our faith looks like to the church and beyond the church body now everything that we've discussed to this point in Romans has been intentionally doctrinal I've mentioned that to you already Romans 12, 1 through 8 sort of starts this practical Romans 12 sort of starts this um, practical section of Romans. 12, 1 through 8 starts by giving general requirements of Christian living. And now Paul is getting to a point where he is going to be very, very specific. Where Christianity is put into action. And it really starts with. Love, love, there are 13 demonstrations of our love, of love in our text that we're going to look at over the next few weeks. And there's a transition that happens here that we must see. And Romans 12 is not the only place this happens, but in Romans 12, Paul discusses spiritual gifts and the importance of those gifts to the church. And then the next transition he makes is love. Now, I'm not going to call you out because I feel as awkward as you do when I sit here and wait for an answer. But I will want you to think about where else do you see this? Where else does Paul do this? He goes from talking about spiritual gifts and the necessity of spiritual gifts and then he goes straight into love. Can you think about it in your head? 1 Corinthians 12. Somebody said it. 1 Corinthians 12. Paul says, Paul gives these This explanation of spiritual gifts and how they're to be used. And then he gives this overarching, one of the most common and thoughtful uh, uh, set of verses on love. It's the one we go to. It's the one that's overused in weddings. Sometimes not inappropriate, but out of context used in weddings. 1 Corinthians 13. It's called the love chapter. He goes straight from use your spiritual gifts To love. And his conclusion in 1 Corinthians 13 is this faith, hope, and love abide in these things, but the greatest is love. His conclusion in 1 Corinthians 13 is that prophecies will cease, that tongues will cease, that the gifts will cease, but love. Will go on. As a foundation of our spiritual life in action, we then must be rooted and grounded in love. This thought is a prominent thought that we must grasp as we try to sharpen and shape our own lives into the image of Christ. Faith, hope, and love abide in these, but the greatest is love. Later in 1 Corinthians Paul says, "Do everything everything in love." We see in 1 Peter, "Love covers a multitude of sin." In Colossians we see love binds everything together in perfect harmony. 1 John says, "If we do not love, we do not know God. The Gospel of John says that people will know that we are His disciples when we love one another. Also, that we love because He first loved us. We have the capacity to love because His love is in us. Beloved, He goes on to say, love one another because love is from God and the one who loves knows God perfect love cast out all fear Jesus said that the law and the prophets are summed up in these two things love the Lord your God with all your heart with all your soul and with all your might, and love your neighbor as yourselves. We are supposed to love, not just in word, but indeed, we are to love our enemies. If we speak in the tongue of angels and the tongue of men, but have not love, we are nothing more than a clanging gong or a gong or a clanging cymbal. The first fruit of the spirit. Is love. Therefore, love is the basis for us following God in faithfulness and treating others as we are commanded. This brings out our first thought of the day, and that is how we define love. All of you can likely agree with me on everything that I've said to this point about love. Love. But it is important and absolutely necessary that we define love in a biblical way. Because if we just take love in a generic way as it is defined in the world, we will miss the mark on what it means to love. So let's try to define love today. And I think we'll see, we'll sharpen that over the next few weeks. Verse 9 of Romans 12 says this. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Verse 9, I believe, gives a, gives us a definition of love. And verses 10 through 13 give us a greater understanding of how to put that love in action. So verse 9 is love defined. How might a person with a non-Christian's worldview define love as opposed to a Christian? A non-Christian and some Christians would more than likely, when they went on to describe love, begin to describe love as a feeling. Follow your heart, they might say. Do what you're passionate about. Do what you love. They would define love often in a more sexual way or at least surrounding physical feelings. Many unmarried people stay in relationships because, uh, not because of true love, but because of comfort, physical or emotional, and because of sexual intimacy, which they equate to love. Often love is defined by what can be done for a person or what can be given to a person. If you do this for me or give this to me, then that must mean that you love me when you stop doing this for me or you stop giving this to me. That must mean you don't love me anymore. Love is often defined as a general acceptance of whatever a certain person believes. They believe this. It's my job just to love them and just to receive them. That's their truth. We hear that's their truth. We are seeing a trend where people and even parents, I see it especially in Christian parenting, where people see disagreement as unloving. When we don't properly discipline because we are worried about stamping out creativity or even wanting to be loved or even have a develop a friendship with our kids, we are doing our kids a disservice and we are not teaching them true love side sermon here and I want you to know that I mean this as true as we're sitting here today I want my kids to respect and obey me even if it means that they don't love me immediately I'm being completely serious I want my kids to respect and obey me even if it means that they don't love me in the moment they can love me later My primary responsibility is not to get them to love me, but to love them. And I only love them properly by showing them the way to life. And the way to life is objectivity and truth. And so I am loving my kids, even if they don't love me, by showing them truth and life. And I believe this, friends, because I know that there are times where my kids haven't liked me. There are times that you probably haven't liked me either. I got amen right there. I had not gotten one the whole time. There are times that my kids don't like me, but I trust in the Lord that if I continue to show love and affection to them, if I continue to show truth to them, that they will love me. That they will love me, even if it's something that they see down the road and not necessarily as true right now. I will tell you, um, you know, I use I talk about this a lot, not as much anymore, but I love my dad differently than I loved him in the past. I did not love my dad like I love him now when he was more of a dad to me. I didn't like him like I like him now when he was more of a dad to me. But when I became older and I saw that he was right and my parents were right more, and I say this only about my dad because he was the more disciplinarian. I used to say when I was a child that my mom, when she spanked me, it didn't hurt, but when my dad spanked me, it brought fire to my bottom. So, uh, so... Naturally, someone who brings fire to your bottom, you don't love nearly in the same way as someone who, you know, (laughs) so. But over time, as I've seen that the things that my parents did were to help me, were to lead me in truth, my love and understanding for them has grown, but. I know that there are times that my kids don't. This is a long, longer side sermon than I expected to go on, sorry. I know that there are times that my kids don't love me because I feel like I'm doing the right thing. But I honestly believe this, friends. It's be, even, if, even if there's a possibility that my kids wouldn't love me for doing the right thing, it's better that I do the right thing than that they love me. But the beauty of the gospel is, is that if I do the right thing, they will love me. They will love me. If I continue to do the right thing... Side sermon over. Now there are all different variations of what people believe that love is. And in in a world where love is loosely defined, if at all, we need to do our part to define love with a biblical Christian worldview. A biblical Christian worldview. And Paul gives us a great head start in that. And the first thing he says for us to learn today is that love is sincere. Love is sincere or genuine. Love is sappy, but it's not just sappy. Love embraces and accepts, but love does not embrace all and accept all. Love does not justify all and love does not necessarily forget all biblical Christian love is not a love that requires nothing the way Paul defines love here is excuse me I should say more specifically biblical Christian our love to God is not a love that just requires nothing he if we are surrendered to him wants us to in response Follow him. Obey him. Live like him. And the way Paul defines love here is by speaking on how it functions, and that is in sincerity. The word here, uh, the word uh, in the Latin, uh, as it's described in the Vulgate, is sincera. This means without wax. Without wax. Now what they would do in biblical times and probably further on. Is they would take an old clay pot that had cracks in it. And in order to make it look more valuable and less cracked. They would take wax as a temporary fix. As a way of making the pot look better. To raise the value of that clay pot. And... That is not a fix. That is not a hold. That is not sincere. And so what Paul is saying here is to make your love without that wax. Even if there's cracks. Even if there's damage. Just be cracked and damaged honestly with each other. Love is not hiding the true nature of your thoughts or feelings with insincere words or action with wax. The Greek word is anupokritos. Does that name? Does the part of that word sound like anything to you? Pokritos. It is in there. Is the root word for hypocrite. A hypocrite is one who wears a mask. One who is sincere is one who is not only without wax, but is without a mask. There are four types of love that the Bible mentions, and there's one that's mentioned today. There is familial love. There is friendly love. There is sexual love, and there is godly love. The word for godly love, you know this, and I know this, is agape. It is pure, holy Unwavering and undeterred. The word used for love here is agape. Paul is saying, as he is defining love in action, love in motion, he is saying, let your love be godly, pure, sincere, agape, without wax, without a mask. There's another qualification to define love that you might not expect. Paul says, let your love be sincere. And then he says, abhor what is evil and hold fast to what is good. What does abhor mean? What does it mean? Somebody say it out loud. What's another word for it? Hate. 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 Here, immediately following the word love, Not, Paul says, not only is God love, but God is hate. God is hate. Proverbs 6 says this, these six things the Lord hates and seven that are an abomination to him. A proud look, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that make haste. To run to evil, a false witness who breathes out lies, and the one who sows discord amongst brothers. Not only is love sincere, but love has an alternate side, and that is there are things that love hates. Isaiah 1 says that the Lord hates their feast and their celebrations because they were hollow, they were without sincerity. The Lord hates worship that is not genuine and pure. In Amos 5, it says a similar thing. He hates their worship, but let justice and let righteousness roll like water. Friends, true love then is discriminating. True love is discriminating. We must hate violence in order to love peace. We must hate lying in order to love truth we must hate sin in order to love God because God hates sin and he cannot be in company with sin now we have this idea in our head that God loves all people and they are all and they are all just um you know, loved and, and it's all a fluffy unicorn cloud playland, which just isn't true in its complete sense. It's oversimplified. You might even heard this God loves the sinner and hates the sin. I would say, now you might consider this my opinion, uh, but it is my humble and most accurate opinion. I would say that this isn't true that God does not just hate sin, but He hates sinners. His wrath is real. And He infinitely disapproves of sin and sinners. Because sin is an expression of an anti-God, an at-war-with-God human heart. And He who is not with me is against me. He who does not gather with me scatters abroad, is what the Lord says. Friends, it is not sin that is punished in hell, but sinners. The wrath of God is on sinners. But it is a paradox of sorts. He hates and He loves. We understand this a little better when we see that hate And love both have two meanings really in the eyes of God. Hate has this meaning of a loathing of a quality. And hate also has a meaning of an intense intentionality to destroy. Love has two meanings. An intense delighting in a quality. But also an intense intentionality to bless in spite of unsavory qualities. God finds the sinner hateful and loathsome in their sin until He saves them. God does not come to us in our attractiveness, in our glory, and in our beauty, but in our reprehension. We are reprehensible. God hates the sinner. And the wrath of God is On the sinner. It is only when when the sinner is redeemed. That he is loved in an agape type of way. Love is sincere. It is without wax. It is without a mask. Love is also discriminating. Love is as God has described and laid out in the Bible. And if we love that way, then we will naturally discriminate in other ways. He goes on to describe, I think, how we can put words into action, our love into action next week, and we'll see that a little bit more. But today, I don't want to leave you sort of hanging with this love defined. I want to give you a primer for next week how we can make love sincere. Sincere love, I think, is not hypocritical. It's not hypocritical. The hypocrite, it was called putting on a mask because in plays back in that time, they would have just a few people doing all the things, right? And so when a person was uh, trying to show that they were uh, they were acting apart. They were acting a different way. They would come out with a mask, and the mask would be an evil face, or it would be a smiley face, or or something of that nature. And what they were called was hypocrites because they were a person who wore a mask. It wasn't who they were underneath. It was what they were displaying. Friends, we are challenged by that thought to not be just someone who displays a truth, but we are challenged to live the truth of God. The hypocrite cannot obediently and in sincerity follow the Lord because the Lord judges the heart and not the mask. The Lord judges the inside and not what is put out. This is not only a sincerity with the Lord, but is a sincerity with others. I believe this with all my heart. It is better to be sincere and kind and hurt someone it is better than it is to be fake And sweet with your words. And allow someone to go on unscathed. It is better for you to be sincere and kind with me. And hurt me. Than it is for you to allow me to go on. In error. The Bible says faithful. Are the wounds. Of a friend. Love is not hypocritical friends even if we can we know we can't trick God even if we can trick others we still have to look at ourselves in the mirror we know our motives we know why we do things don't being not being hypocritical is simply this it's not being satisfied being genuine being sincere is not being satisfied that other people are satisfied with what you've said or portrayed. Do you understand what I'm saying? Sometimes you can say something to satisfy the heart of someone else that's not true. And you're like, oh, you know, I'm I'm good. I feel good. I feel good. They're satisfied, so I'm satisfied. Avoiding hypocrisy is only being satisfied with what's right and true. Not just what you can get over on someone else. Love in action is costly. True love to the Lord costs you your life. If our salvation doesn't cost us something, we are either immature in the faith or we are not in the faith at all. Because faith in Christ will cost you something. It may cost you friends. It may cost you um, credibility in some ways. It may eventually cost you your job. It may eventually cost you your life. But it will cost you something. And because, as I mentioned in my introduction today, that we are a part of a larger body, we are a part of this body, this organism of Christ, Christianity, in order to be a part of it genuinely and sincerely, will cost you... uh, personally it will cost you time it will cost you effort it will cost you heartache friends I will tell you the average person that is not a part of a uh, of a church shouldn't have to mourn as much as a Christian mourns right every time someone in this church mourns we should mourn it it should be dramatic in a sense right right this is the way I feel and I'm a pastor, so I see more than you see probably and I know what's going on more than you. But every time someone is struggling with sin, I, it's as if I'm struggling with sin. Every time someone is struggling with depression or sadness or weakness or temptation or sorrow over the loss of a loved one, I am struggling with those things. I, I'm saying this objectively. I struggle with those things. Now, I know more. I know more about what's going on, but as a sincere believer who is a part of a larger organism, we have to see that it costs us something to be a part of a church. We can't just say I'm willing to mourn and that means that we give them a plate after someone dies or we send them flowers. When we say I'm willing to mourn, that means I'm willing to walk with you until you're at a point. I'm willing to pick you up. I'm willing to carry you until you're at a point where you can walk on your own again. It's costly. Because we are all knit together. We are grafted together. And we can't be pulled apart. We cannot be pulled apart. This is why in our, in our um, foundation classes, I say, hey, you better make sure you're ready for this. Because what you're signing up for is the rest of your life. Now, you may walk away at some point And that's fine. I understand that. But you're signing up right now saying... I'm I'm counting the cost of what it's going to take to be a part of this group for forever. Because being a part of a body is costly. Sincere love is truthful and discerning. Sincere love seeks after what is true, not just what's easy to see, not just what is convenient to determine. Sincere love seeks after truth. And it only accepts what is true. It's truthful and discerning. Sincere love that seeks after truth and doesn't accept what is easy naturally becomes benefit of the doubt sort of love. And for other Christians in our body, until they prove otherwise, we should be benefit of the doubt sort of people with them. Because we are not a people that accept what is convenient and easy. Or maybe what is right in front of our face. But we accept what we know is true until someone else proves that that's not true anymore. So if you hear something or know something about somebody in the body of Christ. And you haven't gone to them or talked with them or worked it through with them. Your first assumption would be what has been true historically until you know what is true now. Truth and sincerity in love makes us benefit of the doubt sort of people, which makes us be willing to get stabbed in the back a few times. Now, some of you who have been burnt in life, some of you have been stabbed in the back by others who have trust issues, you're not as willing to be this person. But let me tell you, true love that is sincere, that seeks out truth, that is willing to wait for the right thing and not the most convenient thing is also willing to take one in the back for the team. It's better to get stabbed in the back while trying to discern what is true than to cut somebody off before you know what's true and right and real. Truth, full and discerning are characteristics of sincere and godly love. It's selfless and it is self-denying. The Bible says, greater love has no man. And he would lay down his life for his brother. Jesus came and lived this life. He he walked the earth. He he was concerned about not only the souls of others, but he was concerned about their physical well-being. He spent most of his ministry healing and talking and communing with, being a friend to, showing love giving of his time, giving of himself, and then he died. And then he said, be like me. Be like me. Selfless, self denying He could have called 10,000 angels. He could have easily acquitted himself. It would have been so simple once he got a crowd going just to buddy up with the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the scribes and be like, you guys are the power guys. We're going to do this together. It would have been so easy. He could have just taken the throne on earth. But he denied what was his in order to show what true love was and is today it is selfless and it is self-denying and friends this is the one being a naturally selfish person this is the one that I have to work with every day in my life I mean all of them but for sure this one how does selfless and self-denying love look in your family how does it look with your spouse I have this idea That someone must do something for me in order for me to keep doing it for them. I have to fight that every single day of my life. In a marital relationship, what you give is 100%. That means in spite of what someone does for you. In a familial relationship, what you give is 100%. That means in spite of what they do for you. In Christian friendship, what you give is 100%. That means in spite of what they do for you. But not just in spite of what they do for you, but in hope of what God can do in them to change them and make them more like Jesus, which would naturally make them more participatory in life. Selfless and self-denying. You can convince yourself that you're a loving person. Friends, your conscience is not what matters, though. It doesn't matter that you convince your conscience that you're a loving person. God must be convinced that that is true. And this is how he defines love. And this is how he defines sincerity. And this is how he defines commitment. And this is how he defines truth. And yet, some of us will spend the rest of our lives convincing ourselves that we are expressing love, that we are expressing kindness, that we have sacrificed, and that is acceptable to God. We see love defined in 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians 13, love is patient. God is patient with exasperating people. So are we. Love is kind. It embraces people at their worst in the dredge of their sin. It offers an outstretched hand. It is kind. Love does not envy because the man and woman of God The child of God is content knowing that the life they've been given is from God. They do not desire the life that someone else has. And therefore, envy is not a characteristic or a quality of a believer. It does not boast. It does not think more highly of itself than others. It sees his own needs and shortcomings. It is not proud. Love is humble. It does not need credit. Proud love loves with stipulation. Humble love loves without stipulation. It is not self-seeking. It it thinks of the one it loves. Jesus died for us, thinking first of His Father and thinking secondly of us. Not self-seeking makes ourselves less as we make others more it keeps no record of wrong love moves on love does not let the past shape the future in negative ways love does not compile a list or does not have statistics some people are Pretty bad about compiling lists and having statistics. Excuse me, some genders. I'm just kidding, I'm just kidding. Some people are worse about compiling lists and statistics. Love keeps no record of wrong. Sincere, agape love cannot be fabricated. You cannot make yourself do it. But it comes with the indwelling of God's Son and by God's Holy Spirit. That is why love is a testimony of true salvation in our lives. Because the love as defined in the Bible cannot be made up. Yes. It comes from God. From knowing God. God. Now the sincerity of our love folks will only typically not be known by God and maybe in some ways by ourselves but it is objectively shown in the ways that I've mentioned today and many others Let love be sincere hate what is evil and hold to what is good Is this a statement or the mark of our life? Is this how we love? Is this how we love our spouse? Is this how we love our children when they're being little jerks? They are. Y'all, don't, y'all always laugh at me. They being, our kids are jerks at times. I was a kid. I remember. I mean, I'm a jerk and adult. <laughs> Is this how we love our friends when they're being jerks? There we go. Is this how we love our enemies is this how we love those with whom we have disagreements I am convicted constantly and challenged constantly let my love be this way but I can tell you because I'm a hothead because I forget the humility part sometimes my love is not always met with these marks pray for me as I pray for you That God makes us people who love as he has prescribed. God, you are so good. You have loved us in a way that is indescribable in its fullness. But yet you've given us a standard and a measure of how we can love. Help us to follow that standard and that measure. Thank you for loving us. You have redeemed a sinner like me. And although I am imperfect, Lord, help me to continue to walk to you in faith, in hope, and in love. Love as you have prescribed. Love as you have determined. Love as you have shown. We praise you. We honor you. We pray and ask these things in the holy name of Jesus. Amen.